Hello, and welcome to Freaking Out About Work with Randy Freaking, the podcast about everything related to your work, your rights and responsibilities in the workplace, whether you are a minimum wage worker, a blue or white collar employee, or an executive. If you work for a living, this podcast is for you. It contains important information that your perspective, current, or former employer does not want you to know, including the basics of your rights and obligations in the workplace, as well as practical tips on how to level the playing field regarding issues that arise every day on the job. Each future episode will feature an expert on the workplace or a guest who may tell us about his or her particular occupation. Hello, happy you are listening to Freaking Out About Work with Randy Freaking, the podcast about working. This is episode 15 in our series, and we have covered a variety of topics and had a lot of interesting guests. I call this episode, Know Your Rights, because there's very little education about the rights and responsibilities of workers in the workplace, certainly no education of that sort in grade school, high school, or college. Most people learn about their rights from media sources, maybe Google, also friends and relatives. You know, and unfortunately, although the sources of that information are often well-intentioned, they are often wrong. And many employees simply have a misunderstanding of their rights in the workplace. Frankly, most employees wrongly believe that they have more rights in the workplace than they actually do, such as a right to receive a warning about poor performance before being fired. There is no such right. They think there's a legal right to severance pay because they hear other people get severance pay, but there's no legal entitlement to severance pay, and so forth. I could go on and on. I've met a wide variety of people during consultations about their jobs over the last 30 years, and I have literally listened to the stories of thousands and thousands of employees. I have often said that prior to 2000, very few current employees visited us to find out answers to some of their questions while they were still on the job, you know, while they're employed, while they were having troubles, long before they were fired. More often than not, people would call and come see us and see me and other lawyers or in our law firm after they were fired. And sometimes that is too late. Since somewhere around 2000, and I'm not sure of the precise date, obviously, the number of current employees seeking to understand their rights in the current workplace, in their current workplace, has increased dramatically. And I think this is one of the better developments in our practice of employment law. People that understand their rights while they are still employed are in a much better position to protect against an unfair or unlawful termination, and they're in a better position to evaluate a termination that they may face. In my mind, it is critical for people to understand their rights on the job because, after all, it's kind of sad to think about this, but most working people spend approximately 50% of their waking hours 
That is when they are not asleep at work. It's kind of mind-boggling. And yet very few people have a good understanding of what is legally required of them and their employer during those hours. You know, employees have responsibilities in the workplace. They have rights in the workplace. And their employer has responsibilities in the workplace. It is usually only once a person is fired that they try to ascertain whether they upheld their end of the bargain and whether their employer upheld their end of the bargain. So, after giving this some thought and thinking about our other episodes, I thought it was important at this juncture, which is maybe mid midway in our first year of doing these podcasts, uh, about the importance of knowing your rights, I wanted to invite another expert to our show, and one that actually appeared in episode 11, to explain everything you need to know about unemployment compensation. So today I wanted to ask Kara Daggett to come back on the show and just talk about the importance of knowing your rights and responsibilities in the workplace. So Kara, welcome back to Freaking Out About Work. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to officially be a recurring guest star on Freaking Out About Work. There you go. That is an honor. You still haven't gotten back to me on my application to be permanent co-host, but it's fine. We can okay. talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll remind our listeners that Kara is a lawyer who regularly assists individuals and helps them to navigate through the issues that surround the ever-increasingly complex world of working. And Kara is a summa cum laude graduate from the University of Cincinnati with her Bachelor of Science degree in psychology. And she had a research focus in neuropsychology. Tells you something about Kara. She's a lot smarter than most of us. <laughs> she had, uh, Kara decided to attend law school when she couldn't get a job as a psychologist. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but she learned about the Ohio Innocence Project and was pre-admitted to the program when she enrolled at the University of Cincinnati College of Law. In addition to being an Ohio Innocence Project student fellow, Kara was also a research assistant throughout her time in law school, during which she drafted academic materials on constitutional law and education law. Kara joined Freaking Myers and Roll during her last year of law school and remains with our team as an associate attorney uh, after she graduated. Uh, Kara just uh, was involved in the successful settlement of a significant case against the city of Cincinnati for a former police captain. In any event, Kara represents current and former employees in matters involving race, gender, and age discrimination, medical leave, disability problems, retaliation, workplace harassment, and unemployment benefit disputes. So Kara, let's start uh, talking about knowing your rights. And let's uh, talk about the importance of that. And let's just start uh, with your viewpoint of why is it important for people to know their rights? Well, I think it's important for people to know their rights in the workplace because, I mean, okay, I kind of think of this as, let's say you're going to jail. It's important to know your rights when you get there so that you don't create problems or miss problems that are going to cause a lot of heartache down the road. 
So is this from personal experience of any sort? No, it is not. I am happy to report it is not. It's just me thinking about this and thinking, wow, in the workplace, you have to know your rights. In jail, you have to know your rights. Um, And that is because your employer knows their rights. They know. They've got a team of lawyers. Yes. So it's important to know your rights, I think. And, you know, we can get into this uh, later in the podcast, but I think it's important to know them so that you can create and preserve certain claims while you're working. Um, and so that you can put a stop to anything going on that is illegal. A lot a lot of people, if they don't know their rights, if they can't advocate for themselves, some employers take advantage of that. So, Yeah, and some people actually, you know, you start employment, you start signing a bunch of documents, um, mm-hmm. non-compete agreements, non-solicitation agreements, and it's usually just in a stack of papers, right? Here, sign up for medical... Give us your uh, social security number. Fill out this uh, I-9 form. Oh, by the way, here's a non-compete. They might even not even mention that it's a non-compete. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So that's the non-compete issue just completely exemplifies why it's important to know your rights even before you start working somewhere. And non-competes are something that are really tricky because they can prevent you from working in your field for, I mean, I've seen up to two years after you leave your current employer. Um, So actually, I would like to talk about a case you and I had together, Randy. Okay. That sort of Hopefully I remember it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So Randy and I had a client uh, with a really strict non-compete. He signed it on his first day of work. Um, Probably didn't read it. Probably didn't read it which is never advisable, but I think we're all guilty of that because like Randy said, you just get a stack of papers and you sign away. Um, So essentially, our client couldn't work at any competing business for two years after he left his current employer. So he quit his job a couple years in and the company reminded him of his non-compete agreement and they told him that they intended to enforce it against him. Did he even remember he had one? I'm I'm trying to remember this particular case, but did this come out of the blue to him? So he quit and then he realized all of a sudden he had a non-compete agreement? So he was aware that there was a non-compete agreement, but he also knew that the company wasn't really enforcing it against his coworkers. So he just kind of thought, eh, yeah, I signed it, but, you know, it's just a piece of paper. They're not going to actually enforce it. And then when he quit, they were like, oh, by the way, you better not work in this industry for two years or else we're going to enforce the non-compete against you. So, and this was a really big problem for him because when he got a job at this employer, he was at the beginning of his career. And so essentially this was a moratorium on him working in his new field, you know, as as a new professional for two years after he left this employer. Um, And on top of that, I mean, like most people. I mean, he had a family, he had a wife and a baby on the way, loads of student debt. He couldn't afford to be pushed out of his industry so quickly after entering it. Um, Well, you know, the old expression about assuming things, right? It makes an ass out of you and me. Um, Are we allowed to cuss on here? I I think we might be able to. Excellent. That changes everything. (laughs) uh, Me. Uh, So he assumed that they just wouldn't enforce it. 
Yes. And we all heard this stuff. I have a right to make a living, da-da-da-da-da. Yes. And then people find out, well, maybe not so quickly. These non-competes are enforceable to some extent, usually. Right. And and yeah, and even even if it turns out, okay, you go to court, you argue it, you, you find out parts of it aren't enforceable. In this guy's case, he had a really great job offer on the table, but they told him, look, if you don't get released from this non-compete, we don't want the drama. We don't want to be a part of this. We're going to pull your job offer if you don't get released within 14 days. So again, even if it turns out, if you're able to retain an attorney, if they're able to successfully argue over months and months and months that the non-compete isn't valid, you're still missing out in the meantime on a lot of opportunities. Right. So what's one of the takeaways from that situation? for that guy about knowing his rights. 2020 hindsight, what should he have done? Well, I think that, first of all, he should have read everything he was signing. Second of all, I think that in cases of non-competes, because they are so tricky and kind of like there's a lot of legal talk in them, um, I think it would have been a good idea to retain an attorney just to review the non-compete and to tell him, look, this is what this means for you. If you quit, this is what will happen. So that way he completely understood what his legal obligations were going in. Um, Yeah. So if you have a non-compete agreement and you're thinking about quitting a job, it might be a good idea to call a lawyer and just figure out how enforceable that non-compete is. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Or you could just Google it, right? Should somebody just Google it and rely (laughs) on that, you think? Type in non-compete in Ohio, and should they rely upon that kind of information that might pop up? Uh, I would say no. Or send something out on Facebook and see what their friends think? Stay away from Facebook when it comes to your legal issues, first of all. And that goes for Twitter, LinkedIn, your personal blog. Maybe as a general rule, stay away from Facebook and Twitter. It's probably better for your emotional health. Oh, absolutely. Have you watched The Social Dilemma on Netflix? I have not. You got to watch that. It's so good. It explains how um, we are the product for all of these companies and they're selling our attention back and forth to each other. Oh, boy. That's kind of disturbing. I know. I don't think I want to know that. Well, now you know. So what happened with that guy who uh, didn't read his non-compete when he signed it? He didn't get any advice uh, before he quit. Then he quits, and his employer comes after him. Uh, what happened? Did you successfully get him out of that? Or? We did. We did, Randy. Oh, we did? We did. Well, you know, Kara, I just, um, <laughs> you know me. I let you do all the work. <laughs> no. Kara Daggett, the brains behind the operation. <laughs> oh, no. So we were able to, and to be clear, we we weren't successful because we didn't have enough time to get in, like an order from a court to say this is not enforceable. We luckily were able to talk to the company and to say, look, we know we signed the, he signed the non-compete, you know, as is. But how about we limit some of these terms retroactively? He's not going to interfere with your clients. He's not going to compete with your business directly. Just let him go. So that way both sides can avoid a lengthy legal battle over this. And thankfully, they were open to that. That's not always the case. Mm-hmm. Now, you talked about your prison or jail example. Um, 
And you should know your rights when you're going to prison or jail. Right. Before you step through the door and they lock it behind you. Why should you know your rights the first day on the job? So and we really shouldn't refer. You know, it's a bad. Well, it could be a bad analogy. I don't want to. I don't want to suggest that your workplace is a jail or a prison, right? Right. <laughs> Although I'm sure some listeners are like, "Well, you haven't seen my workplace," but no, absolutely. Unless you work at the Lebanon Correctional Institute. Well, there you or go. Or the Hamilton County Jail. Absolutely. Right. One of absolutely. the finest jails in the state. Right. Yeah. Uh, so why should you know your rights before you get out on the job? So the first reason I think it's important to know your rights is that so you don't miss out on the very few protections of federal and state law that are provided to you. Like you said at the beginning, a lot of people way overestimate the rights that they have in the workplace. Um, And so it's important to know what exactly they are and how far they can go in protecting you so that you can act accordingly. So what what would you do in in order to... um... You know, once you know your rights, what what kind of rights are you talking about? You say they're limited, but uh, what are the types of rights they ought to know about? So in Ohio, if you're an at-will employee, um, you basically have the right- Let's stop right there. What's an at-will employee? What does that mean? An at-will employee is somebody who is not protected by an employment contract, which means that you can be fired for any reason that is not illegal. Yeah, most people are at-will employees because they don't have employment contracts because the only people with employment contracts are the, are the big wigs in corporate America. You know, the president of Procter & Gamble has an employment contract. Right. The VP of sales might have an employment contract. Yeah. But the sales guy probably does not have a, uh, a contract, so they're at-will, essentially. You start with that presumption, right? Right. Okay, yeah. and then where do we go from there? So as an at-will employee... Uh, you have the right under Ohio law to not be discriminated against on the basis of your race, national origin, uh, military status, religion, gender, age, and disability. Did I miss anything in there? Um, You know, it's a laundry list. (laughs) It is a laundry list. Um, And just as a side note, in order for these protections to apply, this Ohio statute applies to workplaces of four employees or more. So little mom and pop shops with just one or two employees. Right. Employees there have literally have no rights. No rights. Yeah. I mean, they have a right to get paid. Yeah. Uh, but that's pretty <laughs> much that's it. it. I mean, you, 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 essentially, you can get discriminated against right. by a small employer who has less than four employees. Right. Is what you're saying. Yes. Okay. That's, yeah. that's Ohio. That's Ohio. Um. And then there are also federal laws that protect you from discrimination, also on the basis of age, uh, medical leave, disability. But there also has to be a certain number of employees for the federal laws to apply to your workplace. So, for example, the Age Discrimination and Employment Act um, applies to workplaces with 20 or more employees. So you can have sort of like a 15-person operation and they can kick you out. Once you get too old for it. Under federal law, but you Under- can always kick back to Ohio law. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Which is which is good. You have a safety net there with the Ohio law. Um, and, you know, it, the FMLA applies to workplaces with 50 or more employees. 
Um, and the Americans with Disabilities Act applies to workplaces with 15 or more employees. So the I don't know why they come up with all these different numbers. You know, like Ohio, at least it, it was sensible to say four or more employees. Right. That applies to pretty much everything in Ohio, all the legal protections for employers, right. employees. But the federal thing, you're 20 for age discrimination, 15 for, what did you say? Um, 15 for um, the Americans with Disabilities Act. Right. You got 50 yeah. for uh, FMLA. Right. Yeah. I think we should uh, encourage our listeners to write to Sherrod Brown or Rob Portman, our federal senators. Now, there's also state representatives you could write to in Ohio. If you know who your state representative is, and we're recording this pre-election about 40 days out from the election. Mm -hmm. So everybody with any kind of common sense should know their state representative. Anybody who's really been studying the subject. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, if you're listening to this and you feel so inclined, you should definitely send them a letter, give them a call and say, hey, this is so arbitrary. Can we at least have some uniformity to the federal employment laws? Right. It's not, so, so what, but why is this important? I mean, most people know that they're, they've got some legal rights on the job. How does it help them once they get into the workplace and know these rights before they're fired? So it's helpful to know these rights because when something seems to be going awry at your job, I think this is the most important reason, actually, is so that you can create and preserve a retaliation claim. Um, And in Ohio, you have a viable retaliation claim when you suffer an adverse action, like a termination, a demotion, um, you know, a failure to promote, um, for engaging in what's called protected activity. And so an example of protected activity would be like complaining of sexual harassment or retaining a lawyer to help you with an employment dispute or taking medical leave or filing for workers' compensation. Any of those things um, have protections that come along with them if you recognize them and um, call them out to your employer. So, for example, I have a client who began receiving write-ups for, quote-unquote, performance issues after he complained to his supervisor that his coworker was harassing him and his coworker i mean he was he was heinous he would look at my client and say things like oh yeah i hate working with black people and a lot of times his supervisors were present and they heard it they didn't intervene at all and so eventually my client pulled his supervisor aside and said hey look so and so is harassing me about my race. I I mean, on a weekly basis, he always says really racist um, and hurtful things to me. Can you do something about this? So like racial harassment is similar to sexual harassment, right? A lot of people have heard in the media, obviously, people have heard about sexual harassment. Right. The Me Too movement. Yeah. But it can also apply to different protected characteristics is what people ought to know. Yeah. So it can applied to your race, your age, your disability. If people are harassing you on those bases, that's, you know, that's that's illegal. Um, and if you know that, you can do something about it. Correct. Right. Which is why it's so important to know 
what about you <laughs> is protected by state and federal laws. So that way you can protect yourself and inform your employer if people are harassing you on that basis. Um, now, isn't that risky? I mean, you, you're getting harassed on the job and uh, you go and complain about it. Are there pros and cons of that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, maybe maybe I'm cynical, but what I've found is that a lot of times when people are complaining to their supervisors about harassment, they're viewed as troublemakers. They're kind of viewed as drama queens or, you know, trying to start trouble or and a lot of the times the advice from the managers is, oh, just ignore them. Oh, well, just don't work with them. And then they get scheduled with them, you know, to work in the same place. So, yeah, it absolutely it, it can be risky to report to your supervisor if they aren't going to be sympathetic and proactive in solving it and they just see you as a problem. Um, and that's what happens. Because most people are afraid of complaining. Yes. Right? Yeah. Be getting labeled as, like you call it, a drama queen or mm-hmm. a whistleblower or something like that. But I think you started out this discussion by saying there's some benefits to complaining Yeah. from the retaliation aspect. Maybe walk us through that a little bit. What happens if you do get racially harassed, like your client who got racially harassed in the job, uh, what's the what's the thing to know going forward from that? Well, so first of all, if you're getting racially harassed on the job and you are the harassment is coming from a coworker or similar similarly somebody who doesn't make decisions about your employment, the first thing you have to know is that you have to report that harassment to your manager, to a decision maker, um, because ultimately they are the ones that hold the company liable in retaliation and harassment cases. So, for example, in this case with my client, um, so kind of the worst case scenario happened, what we were talking about is his manager said, ignore him, you know, just stay out of his way and I'm sure he won't bother you. Right. That's just Joe. or Exactly. That's, that's, that's just, just how the way he is. He is right. Yes. That's the old Marge shot. That's, yes. you know, that's just the way she is. Right. Exactly. And, and so my client was not willing to accept that. So he continued to report the harassment. And then all of a sudden, after, I don't know, seven years on the job of good performance evaluations, he started getting write-ups for deficient performance from this manager. And this is such a common tactic from it, from employers to get rid of people who they see as troublemakers or to get rid of people who they don't want to deal with. And they didn't want to deal with my client. They didn't want to address the racial harassment he was receiving. So they started writing him up. And we call this pretext. And what pretext is is when employers try to cover up um, an illegal termination with a legal reason. So like we talked about earlier, because we're at-will employees mostly here in the state of Ohio, you can definitely be fired for deficient performance if you're not meeting your company's standards. So a lot of times what employers will do, because they know this, they know their rights, they will start to make up phony performance deficiencies to put in your file. Um, So that way, when they fire you for the real reason of not wanting to deal with the harassment that you're suffering from, 
they have a, a ostensibly legal reason for it. When the lawyers come calling, they can say, no, look, it, this guy was the worst employee in the world. I mean, he was terrible. We were basically doing him a favor by employing him for seven years. And, oh, no, all those great performance reviews were, you know, just because we felt bad for him. Or I don't know what happened. Just in the last year, he stopped working well. And so. So now you're faced with a situation where you've got a client, got a lot of write-ups, right? I mean, I don't know how many. Do you remember uh, three, four write-ups? And then they eventually fired him? Yeah. And then they fired him. I think it wasn't even three or four. They were not that thorough. I think it was like two. Yeah. Within like a month of so, each other. So what could your client have known about that in advance? Like what could he have done? He complained. He complained. Which was, he didn't go get legal advice before he complained, right? He just thought it was a common sense thing to do, I guess. Right. But once he started getting the write-ups, should he have come up? come and seen a lawyer and what could a lawyer have helped him in that situation do? So if he had seen a lawyer at the time he started getting his write-ups, I think the lawyer would encourage him, or at least I would encourage him, to start making his own paper trail to put in writing to his supervisor, hey, look, I think that I dispute everything that are on these write-ups. I believe that you are giving me these write-ups in retaliation for complaining about racial harassment. That is illegal. I would also throw in there, I have been advised by my attorney. Um, So that way you create another retaliation claim because they are not allowed to fire you for consulting with an attorney. And so I think that for the most part, my client did the right thing. And the only thing that I think could have added to this is if he had known beforehand that he's trying to create a retaliation claim, he would have created a more solid paper trail for himself, just as the employer had done for itself. So he would have um, maybe written down in an email or in a note on this date, I said this to my supervisor, I complained of this. Um, And so I think it would have just, had he had counsel throughout this entire ordeal, that would have been the only thing that I would have changed about it is... He was going about this kind of by the seat of his pants, right? Yeah. Like, for example, when he complained about racial harassment, mm-hmm. what could a lawyer have told him to do in connection with making that complaint? In other words, how could the lawyer have helped him maybe make the complaint and make sure that, I mean, is a lawyer advisable in that situation if you're going to your boss and saying, I'm being racially harassed or I'm being sexually harassed? Is, in, is it important the terminology you use, uh, how you, to describe things, whether you do it orally, whether you do it in writing, those kinds of things? Is there some way to help a person like that? Yeah, I think that you do have to use pretty uh, direct terms. And that's another thing. I know you don't like the jail analogy, but going back to the jail no, analogy. No, I, I like the jail analogy. <laughs> I, just, I just didn't want people to think that we were... We, we, we were saying employees should feel like they're in jail. Oh, oh, got There's it. There's a good analogy about knowing your rights. <laughs> I was just giving you a little trouble there. Right. So. I don't want you to get too comfortable in that nice seat in the studio. This right. fancy I studio that we're in. Can't just go out here willy-nilly just saying things. I get it. That's right. But here. So what about, what about knowing your rights before you make that complaint? Why is that so important? Well, Because you need to know exactly what to say. So in jail, if you want a lawyer, 
You can't say something like, well, I think I ought to talk to my lawyer about this. That doesn't invoke any rights. You have to say, I want a lawyer. Get me a lawyer. I'm not speaking to you until I have a lawyer. Same thing in the workplace. You have to say, and I think it helps your case a lot to say, I am being harassed. I am being harassed on the basis of my race, gender, disability. Mm -hmm. So that way you just have a rock solid case against them. And there can't be any down the line, you know, if you actually begin to litigate this case, there can't be any sort of like, well, he, I mean, he said that he was being bullied. He never said it was about his race. All those questions can start to crop up later down the line and create issues for your claims. If the the person didn't get a lawyer who's kind of counseling them in the background. Exactly. Yeah. It can create, you can unknowingly create a lot of loopholes for your employer if you aren't saying the right things, even if you go about it with the right intentions of trying to protect your legal rights. Like in your jail analogy, you say you've got to say, I want a lawyer. Mm -hmm. Get me a lawyer. Now, they can do that orally in the prison context. Yes. Right? Yep. In the workplace, you can obviously make an oral complaint. But are there pros and cons to making it oral versus written? Oh, it absolutely. As a lawyer, I always prefer having written evidence as opposed to oral evidence because unless it's recorded, it becomes a he said, she said situation. Mm-hmm. And then things get decided on credibility. And so if the judge um, doesn't see your client as credible, if you make it to trial and the jury doesn't see them as credible, um that can destroy That's a your case. That's a problem. They can say, yeah, he said he said that. But, you know, he kind of seems sketchy. Like, he got a lawyer, like, right at the beginning. Kind of seems like he's just out for money. Like, it, they can really um, take advantage of anything that is not in writing. And they can have people just straight up lie um, and say, no, he never said that to me. No, he he said something else. He didn't say it was because of his race. So, yeah, I think that if you retain an attorney, they're going to help you brainstorm ways to put all of your protected activity in writing or in a way that is traceable later on. So that way you don't get stuck in the quagmire of he said, she said. And are there specific forms you have to use? Anything like that? Can it be email? Can it be a note? Can it be a memo? Yeah. Anything but social media. You can't like tag your boss on Facebook and say, so-and-so, I mean, you can. You can, but you pretty can. stupid idea. Pretty stupid right? idea. But yeah, I mean, it can be a written note as well, as long as you have a copy of it. Um, I think that probably something that is um, independently time-stamped, like an email, is going to be more credible to anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I am a big fan of putting things in emails to people, if if that's possible. Yeah, we've talked about basically discrimination, those kind of claims, harassment. Uh, There's a lot of rights in the workplace beyond that. There's rights related to like pay and benefits, et cetera. How do people go about getting information as to overtime, whether they're properly uh, being paid for overtime or not being paid? Because there's a lot of confusion, I think, in in the world about who is entitled to overtime pay? So where would they go for something like that? Um, well, they could 
retain an attorney, they could also go to the U.S. Department of Labor website to find that out. Well, yeah, they could go there. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I mean, just calling a lawyer, I mean, is it a good idea just to call? I mean, could something like that be determined without any uh, great expense? In other words, could somebody consult with a lawyer about whether they're entitled to overtime without, uh, you know, I think people fear going to a lawyer because it's going to be a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So what's your yeah. experience with whether people can just come in and get some advice on something like that without spending an arm and a leg? Right. Yeah. A lot of times um, lawyers will just charge you their consultation fee, which might be a couple hundred dollars, um, to sit down you know, for an hour with them to explain your situation and to ask them questions. Um, and that's, you know, that's not going to cost you thousands of dollars. It might be well worth it to spend a couple hundred dollars to consult with an attorney um, and start receiving overtime if you've been owed it. Oh, than, yeah. Than to not, than to just kind of go into it blindly and say, well, if I was entitled to it, I, they would have given it to me. So I guess I'm not. So it's always better to go in with your eyes wide open. Okay. Well, the important takeaway here today is what? It is you have to know your rights. And if you are unclear about your rights, it is well worth it to consult with an attorney to talk about it and to figure them out. Right. We sponsor this uh, podcast, but you don't need to call us. You can call anybody. You can call Mm -hmm. an employment lawyer. I always tell people that. Yes. I don't mind if you don't call us. Right. But please call an employment lawyer. You know, you don't go to a um, uh, internal medicine doctor for a problem with your brain. Uh, with employment problems, go see an employment lawyer. There's probably 40 or 50 or so in greater Cincinnati. So um, in any event, Kara, thanks for being on today. This has been fun. Yeah, thank you for we having me. We kind of bounced me. around a little bit, but that's okay too, you know, and um I hope you never have to go to jail, but if you do, know your rights. Will do. Thank you, Randy. Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes this episode of Freaking Out About Work with Randy Freaking, the podcast about everything related to your work, your rights and responsibilities in the workplace, whether you're a minimum wage worker, a blue or white collar employee, or an executive. I hope you have enjoyed this episode and will tune in next time when we explore more about working. I want to conclude this episode from Studs Terkel that I find valuable. Quote, Work is about a search for daily meaning as well as daily bread, for recognition as well as cash, for astonishment rather than apathy. In short, for a sort of life rather than a Monday through Friday sort of dying. Unquote. Let's hope that we can all find daily meaning as well as daily bread and recognition as well as monetary benefits. See you next time on Freaking Out About Work and please spread the word if you have enjoyed this podcast. Tell your friends how easy it is to go to freakingoutabout.com and Freaking Out About is all one word. Thank you, everyone.